we have been going through, we have just started this, it's just going to be a short four-week series on the church. What is the church? And last week we saw that the best definition of church in a New Testament understanding is a community of people living together in union with Jesus Christ and each other. A community of people living together doesn't mean that they have to share the same house, but there's the shared elements of life, and they have this common, common uh, alignment of union with God and each other. Now, the, the biblical definition of church was not a building that we enter. It isn't an event that we attend. It's not an organization that we lead, but a community of people who've been redeemed by God. Now, as you read through the Bible, and specifically the New Testament, the most prevalent metaphor for this community is a body. There are numerous places that we could go to to see this. Uh, I'll, I'll just start with Romans 12, 4 to 5. Paul says this, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Now, in this passage, we see that there is a multitude, that there is a diversity, and there is a function in the church that is the body of Christ. My wife, Sarah, has a great anecdote to help us think about the nature of the church as a body, and she, she gave in the first message I think I ever heard her uh, preach and give to a group of students, university students, uh, back at Pitt when, when I was working there. And so, Basically, how the story goes is back in 2006, Sarah and I uh, moved from South Hamilton, Massachusetts. I had just finished up seminary. We were moving to Pittsburgh where I had accepted this position working as a college pastor. And, you know, we uh, were young. We had very little money. We had very little furniture as well. And so moving, the moving process was all done in-house. So we rented one of those, you know, large yellow Penske trucks, filled it with our stuff, and prepared to venture from the seminary campus. Now, I don't know if you've ever rented a, a truck like that uh, or a U-Haul. Uh, you may have had experience with their lat latching mechanism. Right? You have this big, heavy door that rolls down, and then there's this hook that you turn to, to close the door, to fasten it in. But so that that hook doesn't bounce open mid-trip, there's another latch that falls on top of that hook, and you can put like a padlock on it or a combination lock to secure your goods. So we were bringing that door, locking it, preparing to lock it, and Sarah was, you know, trying to get that, that clip over the metal hook, and she just happened to, to bring that, you know, metal, that heavy metal piece, bam, right over her thumb, pinching her thumb between two pieces of metal, right, smashing it. And as she says, as she puts it, the results were instantaneous. She cries out in pain. She draws her thumb back and covers it, with her other hand. You know, she kind of starts dancing on her toes, saying, ow, ow, ow. She's blinking back tears from the pain. It was a tiny part of her body. It was her thumb that had experienced trauma. But it brought about a full body reaction as a result. Man, I love that story. Not, not because Sarah got her thumb smashed. I mean, in fact, it was pretty, pretty bruised black and blue for quite a while. 
But Sarah is great at connecting the dots between these real-life experiences and faith because the way that Sarah's body reacted in that moment is a picture of what I think Paul has in mind when he describes this community of faith. We're in this journey together as the church, side by side. When one part of our body suffers, we share in that suffering. When one part of our body celebrates, we all rejoice. When one part of that body grieves, we stand with them in sorrow. Now, what I just shared is true of the church, but it's also true of plenty of other places as well. Steelers fans last week let out a collective groan of disappointment when T.J. Watt left the game with a pectoral injury. Followers of Kim Kardashian let out a collective sigh of relief when she moved from the toxic relationship that she had with Kanye West. Republicans and Democrats celebrate their victories cheer when their opponents lose, and circle the wagons when one of their own is harmed. I think any time you find some kind of clear defining line that separates two types of people or something that rallies people together, you're going to see the same sort of collective behavior. Now, the story of Sarah, I know when I hear it at times, is convicting because it might reveal places where we're not living up to the fullness of what it means to be the church. But the sharing of pain, of joy, of grief is not unique to the church. What makes the church unique is not that it is a body, not that it is a collective of people that create something larger than itself. Right? That's Steelers Nation does that. What separates the body is the characteristics of the members present within. So this morning, as we consider who it is that makes up this collective of the church, I have two characteristics that I want to share with you today. The first is the reconciliatory, the reconciliation that comes from God in the community of the church. Now, I said this last week, I, I, I said it pretty, pretty uh, uh, maybe ad nauseum to you, that we want to avoid individualism, right? God didn't redeem a person but a people. And this is really hard for us to push back on because we are so inundated with it. Um, I was running some errands on Thursday, listening to K-Love, and the Matthew West song came on, Me on Your Mind. Some of you may have heard it, be familiar with it. It's catchy, it's a sentimental song, but it is dripping with individualism, right? As if God has me, Chris Ansel, on his mind, as opposed to us, Right? Our church, the churches everywhere, worldwide, throughout time, that's who he has on his mind when he wrote these stories of scripture, of, of redemption. God's redemption is more than just about me. God's redemption not only restored my relationship with him, but it also brought peace and healing to our neighbors. So as a result, church is not meant to be only that vertical restoration with God, but also restoration of those horizontal relationships with one another. It's kind of, this is very, very much fits in with, with our identity as Restoration Community Church, trying to see God's restoration with the whole cosmos, both on that vertical plane, but also the horizontal plane as well. 
God has redeemed people from all walks of life. If you read Revelation 7-9, it describes the collection, right? Because this is a revelation, it's kind of a peel back of what's going on in heaven, right? Before God brings about an end to kind of human history as we know it. Uh, and, and there's this scene where there are all these saints, all these people kind of surrounding God's throat, singing words of praise to him. And it's described as people from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. This is not a homogeneous community, but it's one filled with a rich diversity. The early church, right, the first Christians had to deal with this head on because for generations there were laws, there were social norms that provided segregation of the people in the Roman Empire. Jews did not associate with non-Jews, what the Bible calls Gentiles, and vice versa. But then you have Jesus Christ, this Jewish rabbi who dies and comes back to life and now has opened the door for all people to have direct access to God. All of these social structures that existed no longer provided any kind of advantage in the realm of knowing God. Paul says it best. This is Galatians 3, 26 to 28. Paul says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons and daughters of God through faith. You've been adapted into God's family. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And then pay attention here. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now the radical nature of the gospel is that it upends all of these social standards. It doesn't matter if you were a Jewish or a Gentile. It didn't matter if you were a free person or a slave. It didn't matter if you were a man or a woman. Right? The gospel didn't remove those differences. I think that's often a misreading of this. It doesn't say there is no difference, but it says it, it removed the societal worth that was placed upon those divisions. It removed the hierarchical relationship. It removed the patriarchy, if you will, to use some of today's language. Scott McKnight wrote a fantastic book about this, this swing in the culture of the church in the first century AD. It's called, the, the title of the book is A Fellowship of Difference. What a fantastic title. In it, he highlights that the earliest churches were made up of vastly different people. You had the Jewish religious leader, the Roman soldier, the indentured servant, the prostitute, the tax collector, the rich, the poor, right? The fellowship was made up of men, women, and children, people from various economic statuses, vocations. Whether they were honorable vocations or dishonorable, they were part of the family of God. They were very different from one another, but they all shared in community together. Now, much of the New Testament conflict that we find as we read the scriptures is the growing pains into that new reality. For example, did these Gentile converts need to follow the Jewish dietary laws? Did they need to practice circumcision? Right? Could they keep eating their bacon if they wanted to? These vastly different groups had to figure out how do you get along as the family of faith. 
Listen to the quote by Justin Martyr, and I think it beautifully reveals this attitude. So Justin Martyr, he was born about 100 AD, so he's one of the earliest, you know, this is within the first or second generation after the the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, One of the earliest church fathers whose writings we possess. So describing the body of believers, he said this, quote, we who formerly hated and murdered one another now live together and share the same table. Now we pray for our, for our enemies and try to win those who hate us. Justin Martyr shows that this reconciliation that is in view in the gospel is not just a vertical relationship with God, but it was horizontally. It's with one another. You see that reconciliation as well. Now in America, I think this is something that's very easy to take for granted. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. famously said, and I quote, I think it is one of the tragedies of our nation. One of the shameful tragedies that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours, if not the most segregated of hours in Christian America. Because the truth is, having so many churches to choose from, it is easy to find one that feels comfortable because it's homogeneous. We naturally gravitate to those places where everyone else looks and thinks like us. But as we saw in the passage of Paul in Galatians, in that quote from Justin Martyr, that our churches should reflect the diversity of God's kingdom. What groups seemingly hate and murder one another in our culture today? I don't know about you, but the first thing that comes to my mind is American politics. We are in a setting where there is such division, there is such bitterness and resentment for the other, whoever the other political party is, that though anyone outside of our tribe is dismissed and demonized, I mean, this is a very real thing that I've heard, again, I'm taking it with a grain of salt, but there are people writing about how else can this end if something doesn't give other than civil war, another civil war. Because in in our ideologies, we are so far apart, right, that the animosity that exists, many suggest that the only path forward is eventually it's going to exert itself in violence. That's what a lot of people are thinking. That can be a little scary to think about. This is the antithesis of the gospel. The gospel does not allow this in the family, this kind of behavior and attitudes in the family of faith. Right? I, I think Sky Jatani highlights this real well in his doodle. Um, these doodles, as I shared last week, he recently wrote a book called What If Jesus Was Serious About the Church? It's real good. So a lot of this comes from that. Here, here's a little doodle that he has. It's easy for our churches to be a reflection of our culture, right? Republicans go to Republican churches and Democrats go to Democrat churches. But the gospel works transformation. What if instead our churches were made up of people who displayed a different way to the world? One where Democrats and Republicans sat in the pews together, shared meals together, called one another brothers and sisters. And what I love about this doodle it is, is that it is so deep in what it communicates. Because not only do the, you know, in the transformation picture, not only do the blue and red people get mixed together, but it's also a place where clearly there is safety at changing one's mind. Because some of those blue and red people have changed colors. I'll just say become independent or neutral. Imagine that. Right, a place where you go that it's not just confirming your biases, but challenges you in a way that maybe you change your mind, that you're rethinking something instead of being so enmeshed in your ideology. 
Now, I know this is pretty weighty as it pertains to politics, but, you know, you could think about this doodle in, uh, with much less seriousness, you know, a little levity to them. You know, what if instead of red and blue people, it was, you know, Marvel and DC fans? You know, the console wars. Are you an Xbox family or a PlayStation family? Right? There, there are parties from each side of the feud between Teresa and Melissa and the Real Housewives of New Jersey. I did a little dive into it this week, and my goodness, they've got a feud. It's like lasting, we're almost at 10 years, a decade of their feud. Dare I say, Heinz Ketchup versus Hunts. Yes, even fans of Hunts, right? Ketchup are not depraved and beyond redemption. The point of this is that daily we experience messages from our culture that tell us why we are valuable because we believe a certain ideology and why our opponent is worthless. The gospel will have none of that. God redeemed a people across any dividing line that you can imagine and has brought them into fellowship with one another. So characteristic one, this community is a diverse group of people who have been reconciled through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right, that God has taken people from a variety of backgrounds, cultures, socioeconomic status. He's brought them together with one another. The question is, how on earth does this happen practically? So my second characteristic is to understand and separate the pursuit of unity and uniformity in that community. All right, let's return to the metaphor that we started with, right? The body, the, the church is a body. 1 Corinthians 12, 14 to 20, Paul says this about the church. He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So Paul puts it plainly for us, right? This diversity exists for the sake of the body and by extension for the benefit of the world. Each of us is uniquely gifted, brings something to the table to our church family. Paul says that it wouldn't do us much good at all if we were all hands and didn't have any feet or if we were all filled with eyes, we wouldn't be able to hear or smell, right? The diversity of our gifts and perspectives strengthens the church. And I think that the, the result of that, it means that we should never be embarrassed for the way that God created us, the experiences that he has brought us through. God can even use our time of suffering as a blessing to others. When we are found in Jesus Christ God has the power to sanctify even some of the questionable decisions that we have made in life. You have different cultures that might reflect the different nuances of God's character. 
This diversity strengthens the body. Paul's letter in Ephesians says the very thing. He says that this diverse understanding of God adds to our understanding of the brilliance of God, the splendor of God. Now, in order for this sort of diversity to exist in the body of faith, it means there needs to be unity. But it is easy to confuse unity and uniformity. So here's another one of those doodles from Sky's book. Unity means that all the believers, all those little dots that's on the right-hand side, are connected to the same source, namely Jesus Christ. Most of you have regularly heard me quote St. Augustine on this topic, and he said this, and again, here you go again for those that have heard it a million times. This is a kind of a mantra that we try to live towards here at this church. Augustine said, in the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. In those things that are most essential, those things that are non-negotiable, we ought to be unified. These are the foundations of what it means to be a Christian. Beliefs like those laid out in the Apostles' Creed. We, We studied that a year and a half ago here at the church. Holding fast to the Trinity, to the life, the death, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, his second coming, right? These are the theological truths that shaped the early church, that held it together. But you know what? There's a whole lot of non-essential elements of faith, things that our salvation, our redemption is not based upon. Should infants or adults be baptized? What is the specific mechanism of Jesus' return? What kind of musical instruments or music ought you use to worship the Lord in church? How often do you have communion? What color of the carpet of the church be? What political candidate do we support, right? These items are not essential to salvation. And so there is, as a result, some freedom to express diversity in that. And in that freedom, Augustine calls us to liberty, an acknowledgement that there can be a difference of opinion, and that's okay. Lastly, he calls us to charity. It's kind of an antiquated word that means love. And it's that divine love, specifically. That even in our disagreements with one another, we love each other. You know, you guys all know and respect and love Elder Mike Drabick. Mike and I have a lot of theological differences. We're, we're regular. When we get together, we regularly challenge one another. Why have you thought about it this way? What about this? But the truth is both of us are deeply rooted in the gospel, and we have great respect for one another. We can worship together. We can share the Eucharist together. We can hug one another as brothers of the Lord in spite of some of those differences. Going back to this doodle, it's different than uniformity because uniformity, on the other hand, naturally creates factions because we gravitate to those who are most like us and those similarities become our identifying characteristics. And so as a result, there is this natural inclination to want to have uniformity in the body and think that that means unity. Parker Palmer, he's kind of a a guru when it comes to Christian community. He says this about the church, quote, in true community, we will not choose our companions for our choices are so often limited by self-serving motives. Instead, our companions will be given to us by grace. And I love what he says next. Often, they will be persons who will upset our settled view of self and world. In fact, we might define true community 
is that place where the person you least want to live with lives. Here's one more metaphor. Try to kind of bring this point home for us. I have very distinct memories of 11, my 11th grade AP U.S. history class. My teacher, Mr. Earhart, I don't even know what his first name was, Mr. Earhart, shared a common example of the United States being called a melting pot. Have you ever heard of the U.S. being called a melting pot? Yeah. A melting pot signifies, what they mean by this, it's a place where people from various backgrounds and cultures, countries of origin, origins, would come to the U.S., come to this world or this country looking for a new life or a fresh start. And what happened as a result was that the various cultures all kind of blended together. Think about a bunch of metals melting together, creating this new hybrid culture that was distinctly American. Now, Mr. Earhart said that a melting pot was a poor analogy for what ought to happen in America. Because what happens whenever you blend together, right? Think about like making a smoothie in a blender. It loses any real sense of identity of what it existed as before. Kind of provides one, you know, amalgamum of like one thing. A melting point, I would argue, points to uniformity. Mr. Earhart said that a better example of American culture, at least what it ought to be, is a salad bowl. One that had many diverse and distinct characteristics, distinct cultural artifacts, but they remain somewhat separate, but yet contained contain together in that bowl. You know, think about a salad, right? You got your lettuce, you got all these different things, croutons, cucumbers, maybe a little bit of chicken and cheese there. It's clearly a Pittsburgh salad, so you got to have some French fries on top. I think this is a great metaphor for the church as well. We aren't to be a melting pot where we're just trying to find the, find the lowest common denominator and blend all, you know, blend all those things together so any, any diversity kind of just gets lost in the shuffle. Instead, we ought to be a salad bowl because each one of us, we've come from different traditions, places. What brings us unity is not a sameness of flavor, but that we've all been brought into this divine salad, the boundaries that God has set through the redemption of Jesus Christ. So in closing, to answer the question, who is the church? The church is made up of a diverse set of people who have been reconciled to God and to one another through that gospel of Jesus Christ and are united in the truth of that and love of that gospel. We are tethered in unity to Jesus. And we're called to show that love that God has shown to each one of us, right? We sang that God's goodness is running after us. It's pursuing us. And we are encouraged to live that way with our neighbors. Maybe that means we should be taking the goodness of God in us and pursue others. Run after others with the goodness that God has given us. Skyjatani said it this way, I quote, Unity is essential to the mission of God in the world. When the world sees formerly divided people who used to be filled with hatred, envy, anger, and rage, transformed and united into a people of love, goodness, and kindness, they will believe. When the world sees people once divided by race, color, class, and tradition, now embracing one another as brothers and sisters, they will believe. May we be a people who champion the diverse gifts that we each bring to the table of fellowship. 
May we be a people that hold fast to one another in the love of God. And so as we do so, again, I want to give us each week some reflection questions that we can have these touch points. How am I doing this? What does this look like in my life? And I'll post these on Facebook. So here's the first one. Thinking about some of those things that separate us. What are those human-made partitions that you might feel a sense of despair for reconciliation along that horizontal plane? What are the things that when you think about this, these dividing lines, that you're like, how on earth can God bring about reconciliation here? There's probably a lot of them. Maybe you've experienced personally or read about them. So just thinking about that. And remember, right, what, what did, uh, when, when Jesus talked about like a, a wealthy man entering the kingdom of God and it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle, it's not possible by us. What does he say? With God, all things are possible. Second is this. Thinking about unity and uniformity, how would you, in your own words, how would you compare and contrast what those words mean? Because like I said, I think at times we get them confused. We, we think of them as synonyms. They're not really synonyms. Lastly is this. How can you get along with someone you strongly disagree with? Maybe think about uh, maybe a, a great place to, to start. Or, and who's a brother or sister in faith? I mean, we're called to, to love our neighbors. So uh, th- this, I think, goes for those outside of faith as well. Uh, but, you know, we're talking about the church specifically in this. But think about that. Like, maybe there's a family member, maybe there's a friend that has some pretty strong ideological differences that you do. What does it look like to get along with them? How can you do that, you know? Are there going to be, you know, is it just one of those things where, like, you just don't, like, talk about whatever that thing is? Just kind of sweep it under the rug? I'm not saying that's the best way. Just what are those mechanisms that, that you have to do so? Um, I'll post those. Let's pray to close, and then we'll, we'll, we have one, one more song that we'll sing. Lord, we thank you for your work in our lives, that you have brought redemption to us, that you have uh, highlighted your goodness, that you have redeemed a people from uh, the corners of the world through time. Lord, that as we are united together, uh, that, that our church here would be a picture of that, a picture of that age to come, but knowing that when we get there, to, to, to spend eternity with you, Lord, there are going to be so many places of so many people that we're going to learn from. We're going to see different sides of you that we never even considered. So God, may, may you guide us in this pursuit. May you give us the love of Jesus to love those uh, that are hard to love, Lord, recognizing that community might be the place where uh, the people we don't really want to spend a lot of time with spend. And in that calling, may you uh, make us more like Jesus for the sake of the world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.